hello, 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 everyone. Happy Sunday. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Knowing God podcast. My name is Anike Atkins, and I am your host. So I have been gone for a while. Please forgive me. However, life happened, and here we are. But I also have to remember that I can't get sidetracked and I can't control what happens. I have to leave everything to God and just continue living each day. And plus, I missed you guys. I love talking about the word. I love sharing the word. And so, ta-da, I'm back. So we did talk about um, part one, which was Genesis 1 to 3. So far, we talked about, you know, the beginning, the creation of earth. We talked about, ooh, excuse me. We talked about the creation of earth, and we also talked about the first sin from the first people on earth. So now we're going to chapter four, and I'm just going to keep on going. Um, I want to do at least 30 minutes for every part. Uh, Genesis is quite a few chapters, and I want to be able to cover as much as I can. You know, we're going through the Bible, so I want to cover as much of the Bible that I can. It's just to really talk about the beginning. You know, and then we'll kind of just start making references to specific books um, and just summarizing. I want people to get an idea of my knowledge of the Bible, but I also um, encourage you to take the Bible and read these chapters in more depth. I'm only going to cover cover like the surface of things, you know, the notes that I took for myself and um, just a little information here and there that I have about each tap- chapter. So it's just giving you a synopsis. So chapter four is the story of Cain and Abel which were the sons of Adam and Eve. The firstborn was Cain. He was called a tiller, also known as a farmer. And the secondborn was Abel, who was a shepherd. You know, being a shepherd requires a lot of patience because you have to lead sheep the same way that Jesus is leading us, the blind, because there are so many people who are blind to the things of this world and they are being consumed by evil spirits and not the Holy Spirit. And so Just as Abel was the shepherd, we are also considered Jesus' shepherd, right? Uh, Sorry, Jesus' sheep. Jesus was the shepherd, excuse me. And um, in this chapter was also when the first murder occurred. And I was like, wow, you know, God created this world with the intention of our spiritual bodies bringing nothing but peace, bringing heaven on earth, basically, you know, but after Adam and Eve sinned, anything goes, right? They had opened that portal for the enemy to take over. And this is what happened. You know, again, go read the story. But Cain eventually ended up killing his younger brother, Abel, because he was jealous of the fact that God accepted Abel's gift and not his offering. And um, God knew this was going to happen because he had forewarned Cain to not allow sin to consume him lest he fall prey. And he did. And Cain's curse was terrible. God said he would wander the earth aimlessly with no home in the land. And um, Cain really felt that this punishment was just so bad that he would pretty much be left vulnerable to be killed by anyone, you know? But again, there's a thing that, that God is so gracious at giving, and that is grace, right? Gracious grace. This grace knowing that, yes, I am, I have asked you to live a certain way. You didn't listen to me. I am punishing you, but I'm not going to punish you to the extent that I will allow the enemy to kill you. However, you're going to suffer this punishment. Think about Psalm 23 for a second. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That rod is to spank us, to get us back in order. That staff is to lead us. And we have to want to be led as his sheep, right? And that's the same thing that was happening here. God is like, no, you're going to be punished for what you did. What you did was horrible. You actually killed someone with your own bare hands, right? And so God basically put a mark on Cain's head 
that, you know, no matter where he was on the earth, no one would be able to kill him. However, Cain still had to suffer. But this suffering eventually brought Cain back to serving God even more and getting closer with God. And, um, you know, over time, Cain got married and he bore a son named Enoch, who also gave birth to Lamech. And Lamech, if you go and read, also killed another man. So, you know, history is going to repeat itself. Sin is going to repeat itself because while some people are going to be used and obedient and follow God, there are going to be some people that are just going to be very easy for Satan to use. And, you know, this started happening. Now we go to Genesis 5. Um, and I tried to record a lot of the age and the time because I just really wanted to pay attention to, you know, God's closeness to mankind, right? And so at the age of 130 years old, Adam ended up giving birth to Seth. So Adam lived for about 800 years, had sons and daughters in between, and eventually he died at like the age of 930. That's a lot of years to live. But over time, the years that each son lived became shorter and shorter. And then we get toward, you know, we get to the story of Noah, where Noah was kind of born after um, the year of 7,625 or something like that. And he had three sons during that time, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, um, and it, Noah's story begins in Genesis 6. The world was becoming so egregious with sin and God was just over it. So God decided, I'm going to shorten the lifespan of mankind to live no more than 120 years old. Um, and then with that, God also even regretted creating humans because he did not want what was happening to happen, but so much was going on. And God had so much regret that he said, I am going to destroy the earth. And when he looked on the earth and realized that there's nobody but one, and that happened to be Noah and his family. And God said, you know what? I am going to save Noah. And so he reached out to Noah and he said, listen, I need you to go and build an ark and you need to build it this high. You need to build it this wide because it has to fit your entire family, including every two of every animal species that exist. You need to put them on there because again, God created this earth and wanted Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. But because of all the sin that happened, he ended up having to just pretty much eradicate the earth. He's like, no, we're going to try and do this again. We're going to have to do this again. But you know, when God decided to do this in Genesis 7, Noah obeyed God. He was about 600 years old at the time of that great flood. And that flood lasted for about 40 days and 40 nights. Now, 40 days and 40 nights is quite significant, right? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So did Elijah. I think Moses was at the mountain when he was, um, when God was speaking to him um, for about 40 days and 40 nights. And during the, that time, we all know what happened, but we'll get to the book of Exodus soon. Uh, right now, let's just stick with the beginning and let's learn how the world is today, why the world is what it is today. And um, so, yeah, so that flood lasted for about 40 days, 40 nights. Um, the Bible records that the rain started on February 17th and the water continued to cover the earth for 150 days, basically wiping away every single human and animal off of the earth. So in Genesis 8, it goes on further to say that the rain and the flood eventually subsided around somewhere like July 17th. And by October 1st, the mountains became visible. And how did they know this? No one would send a bird out into the world to see if there was any dry land and a lot of times the bird would come back and that was how he knew okay yeah it's not safe yet it's still flooded but eventually the bird went out and never came back so clearly the bird was able to um, find a place to uh 
I guess, hibernate and start its own family. And so the earth became completely dry on February 27th. So it seemed like an entire year pretty much went by. It did say 150 days. So almost a whole year, almost a full year went by. But like when the earth was completely dry was by February 27th. That's what it says in the Bible. Now, I don't know, the days could be off. Again, man did write the Bible, but we never know. However, we just know that it lasted for a very long time. Um, so Noah was told by God to release the animals and his family so that they can mate and be fruitful and multiply. And Noah offered up a burnt offering to God, um, you know, just being gracious for saving him and his family. And this was very pleasing to God. So at this point in uh, Genesis 8, I think is verse 20 to 22, God promised to never, never to curse the ground man walketh, nor kill any living thing. Um, he believed at that point that um, it is from youth that a man chooses to do evil, right? I think over time, God started to pay attention. From from the time a, ch- a, a, a person is a youth, and the word, the saying is about five years old is when a child knows right from wrong. They know when they're lying. And so God is already judging you from about the age of five. I know this sounds crazy, but this is why we need to protect our children and pray over them and teach them. Do not spare the rod. We need to spank them. We need to get them in order. You know what I'm saying? And to um, just to make their life better and to allow God's promise to be fulfilled in their lives. And um, also in um, verse 22, I think this is when God decided to create the seasons um, and the weather. So uh, a lot happened in Genesis chapter 8. You know, the rainbow was a significance to God's promise to never flood the earth. That was the meaning of the rainbow. I think we all understand this. Again, I am not insulting the um, group of people who practice... um, you know, lesbianism and, and, and gay and all this, this homosexuality. However, that rainbow has nothing to do with the lifestyle that you have chosen that God is against, you know, and it just is what it is. But we continue to pray that God will continue to open up eyes and win more souls. So in Genesis chapter nine, God continued to encourage the family to be fruitful and multiply, telling them that the animals will be meat for them to eat and everything on this earth God gave to us. He said it was ours, but God warned them against eating meat that still has life in it. In other words, blood. And you can find this in Genesis 9 verse 4. He clearly expressed that also that a man must not kill another. For the for the person who does kill, his life will also be taken. And again, either you die in your sleep, you know, maybe God would just kill you silently, or you're going to be faced, you're going to be in a situation where your life will also be taken. So it's kind of like um, you kill somebody, guess what? You're going to suffer that consequence. Um, we were made in his image, and God made the promise that he would never flood the earth again. So now we move on to chapter 10, and I know I might be moving fast, but again, I'm only giving a synopsis. I'm trying to give you some background and make it somewhat interesting so that you could be encouraged to go and actually read these chapters yourself. Uh, chapter 10 explains the children of Noah and their families and how they uh, pretty much divided and created the world and filled the earth. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, but this got to be incense because aren't they sleeping with each other and things like that? You know, I've read in some places and I've heard from um, a lot of spiritual leaders uh, and prophets, and I'm talking about people who are truly being used by God. They did say that, you know, angels are sent into the earth, right? To, to, um, protect us, to lead us, to guard us, to guide us. 
Um, but some of these angels, their eyes get big and they easily get tempted and they they um, start to mate with the humans. So there is a possibility that uh, the earth probably did expand because, you know, also because the angels were commingling with humans as well. Um, and and I, I really want to look into that some more. And if anybody who is listening finds any information on that, please, please feel free to um, message me on this uh, platform. Or if you know me personally, please reach out to me so that I can look into it and we can talk about it on my next show. Uh, so anyway, can we call ourselves descendants of Noah? I say no, because we still do come from Adam and Eve. Um, and these are just the families that happen to spread across the earth after the flood. I mean, Adam and Eve had to come from someone, right? So really, our genealogy leads back to Adam and Eve, the first people, at least from what we, we read in the Bible. So when we move to chapter 11, I had titled chapter 11, One World Order, and this was about the city of Babel. So Noah's people, after they have um, been fruitful and have multiplied and have created different parishes or tribes or villages, whatever you want to call it, uh, some of the people, the, the, the leaders came together and they were like, oh, you know what? Let's build a tower that's as tall as the heavens um, with the intent to form one world with the same language. And, you know, God is like, uh-uh, because if this happens, then these are people that are going to try to control people. And I have plans for people. This is not the way I wanted to go. And when God saw this, he caused everyone to speak a different language. And, you know, this speaking of a different language caused people to end up forming their own tribes, right? So people who speak the same language end up developing the same cultures and traditions. And by default, obviously, they're going to have their own villages. This is how we are today, right? So just understand that English is a very, very new language. It is a very new language. There was never English. It was all in a language, clearly Hebrew, I think, and, and Greek and all that stuff. So it was really language, other languages that people spoke. English language is just a very new language. And again, it was created by man in an attempt to try to once again form one world. If we can get everyone to speak English and be able to understand people, we'll be able to understand their powers, we'll be able to understand their secrets, we'll be able to understand their culture and everything, and we can use that against them to try and control them. That's just basically how it is. That's how man is, unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, when God caused this uh, thing where everybody started speaking a different language, when they saw this happen, they pretty much stopped building the city and God scattered them all over the earth. And you can read this in chapter 11, verse 9. Um, but this is where the beginning of the age of Abraham starts. So we go to chapter 12. Our father Abraham, that's the start of his life. God, God had appeared to Abraham and had commanded him and his family to leave Haran and to go to a new land where God was going to give them his new promise. And Sarai, his beautiful wife, <clears throat> at the time was um, around, I think they were around Pharaoh. They were in Egypt or something like that. And Pharaoh tried to keep her, but Abraham believed that God will vindicate him. So he deceived Pharaoh, right? Because Pharaoh's over here trying to overtake... Um, his wife, Sarai. And it's like, come on, Abraham, aren't you going to defend your woman? Like, no, that's my woman. You can't have her. But at the same time, he's thinking in his mind, if I allow this um, and just say that she's my sister, then maybe we won't, you know, be in such a bad place and we'll be able to at least get by. Uh, you know, so that was a big mistake on um, Abraham's side. He wasn't supposed to do that. However, 
Pharaoh did take advantage of Sarai and God plagued Pharaoh and Pharaoh um, decided to allow Abraham and his family to leave because he was like, listen, you got to go away. This God that you're serving, I don't want no parts of it. I don't want any problems. Um, go, you know, how, how dare you <laughs> lie to me? And so in chapter 13, um, Abraham and Lot, uh, they separated because they both had uh, too many animals and other belongings that it was just causing strife um, amongst their herdsmen. And Lot, uh, just to give you a little background, is Abraham's nephew, you know, and at one point they were all living together. But, you know, as Abraham's family grew, so did Lot's and it became just too much that there was, all, you know, there was beef. They, there was like disagreements happening um, at some point. And so they had to separate. And Lot went into the city of um, um, Sodom. He moved a little closer to that city where that city was, there was so much sin going on in that city. And God promised Abram the entire land on which he dwelt. So Abram remained where he was. Uh, in chapter 14, that's where we talk about the Salt Sea in Sidim. There was a, um, a war in Sodom and Lot was held captive. One of his servants escaped and informed Abraham. And um, Abraham, you know, gathered 318 of his strongest men to go and fight. And they brought Lot back with his family and the cattle and all the possessions that he had. When we read in um, chapter 15, this is when God made a promise to Abraham for demonstrating his faith, right? We talk about faith. So I'm skipping a few things, but just talking about some significant things. He promised him that he was going to bear a son who will possess many nations. And God also revealed to him that his descendants will be enslaved for 400 years in a foreign land that God promises that he will bring them out of, right? And so I think this is a, an area that a lot of people talk about, a lot of argument that these are the black people they're referring to who suffer, who was going to suffer for these 400 years of slavery. Now, those 400 years of um, slavery obviously was in that time, but clearly it looks like it kept repeating itself, right? Because these people that God was going to save, Abraham's people, they were so stubborn, they, they didn't have patience. They couldn't wait for God. It was like, I need it now. I need you to do what you said you're going to do now. And their impatience brought about sin that brought about their curse and their demise and them having to suffer at the hands of their oppressors, you know? So we move on to chapter 16. And in this chapter, Sarai, after 10 years of living in Canaan with Abram, wasn't able to bear children. So she consented to Abraham laying with her maidservant, Hagar, who later conceived. And um, this kind of caused Hagar to think she was all that, right? So she became pretty proud and arrogant, and she was very rude to Sarai. Um, so Sarai was like, no, I'm chasing her out. And when Sarai decided that she wanted to chase her out, God sent Hagar back and expressed to Hagar that she will have many children, including Ishmael, right? So Hagar did have um, Ishmael and God didn't take away any blessing from him because again, God really loved Abraham and Ishmael after all was Abraham's son. However, Sarai is the one that's supposed to give birth to the son that is going to lead the slaves, his people out of, um, oppression. Right. And so he still blessed, um, Ishmael. He still blessed Hagar. He didn't really let them suffer. In chapter 17, God appeared to Abraham and made a new covenant with him. God expressed to Abraham that he will be a father of many nations and hence changed his name from Abraham to Abraham. And Sarai, her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah, saying she will be a mother of many nations and princes. 
And God promised Abraham that he will bear a son through Sarah, and his name will be Isaac. God said that Abraham must keep this promise by ensuring that every male child born must be circumcised and every uncircumcised male um, will be cut off from the family. So circumcision seems to be a very important thing. I think that's kind of a way of dedicating your child to Christ as well because of this law that he made. And I really want to read up on that and understand more of why this circumcision is of uh, so much significance. So I would definitely try to look into that and, and revisit it. In chapter 18, God appeared to Abraham again, um, but through angels in the guise of men, right? So Abraham um, served the visitors food to eat, um, you know, he was just very kind. He really welcomed them. And before they embarked on their journey, he was like, you know, I just want to make sure you guys are good and you guys eat. Please come in. We're going to kill a cow for you and all those things. So these men haven't been treated well. Obviously, they were angels. The men said to Abraham that his wife, Sarah, will bear a son named Isaac a year from that day. Sarah, who was in a tent, overheard. So she kind of laughed because uh, she was like, uh, I'm too old to bear children. But God said nothing is too small for him to do, right? <laughs> so God was um, heading to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy the city because of the um, ways of the people there. But Abraham interceded on behalf of the righteous that um, could be living there, asking God to spare them. And God listened and agreed based on this precept. So, you know, again, you have to take the time to read, uh, but this is in chapter 18. God was just over it. It was just so much sin going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, especially where the men were raping other men and sleeping with other men. It was just really bad. And God was like, no, we, we're not having this. And he was getting ready to destroy the entire city. But Abraham spoke up on behalf of those who believe in God. He said, listen, what if there were five people there that believed? He said, well, for the sake of those five people, I would save them. You know, he said, okay, if it was just one, would you? He's like, yes, if, if I see one person who trust me and who was righteous, then I will save that person. And God kept to his word. He only destroyed everybody else, but he did save the righteous. In chapter 19, Lot was visited by two angels who were sent on a mission to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot and his family were the only righteous people in that country. So I think this is kind of telling you that Abraham was really thinking about his nephew, right? Because he's like, wait a minute, my nephew is in the outskirts of Sodom. Does this mean he's going to get destroyed too? So it's like, God, please remember your people. Don't destroy everyone. There are people who love you, you know, and God heard his plea because again, God loves him some Abraham, right? He's ever been so faithful to God. And so the angels gave Lot the opportunity to leave and not look back. And so as they were on the run, Lot's wife looked back and she was immediately turned into a pillar of salt, which I hear is still there today. I would really love to visit a lot of these biblical um, places, but uh, they said that that actually does exist. So God is an awesome God. Um, God consumed the country with fire from above. So that fire came from heaven down and destroyed that city. Lot and his two daughters um, kind of dwelt in a cave and they, um, they were there for a while. So now, Again, here is where a different kind of sin occurred, right? These two girls <clears throat> are with Lot. That city has been destroyed. There's no men around. There's nothing happening, right? And so these two girls are like, listen, we, we have to be able to give children, give birth. How can we um, start a new life in, in a village if it's just the two of us? 
So these girls committed a pretty bad sin. They went and got their father drunk and slept with their father. They slept with Lot. And um, the both of them had two sons, Moab and um, Benami. And uh, they were uh, the birth of two cities. So why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed remains an argument among scholars. But the best argument is, I think, in Genesis 19 from verses 5 to 8. So please, you go ahead and read it and uh, take what you can from it. And if you would love for us to discuss it, please feel free. Let me know. Um, and we can definitely do that. I can talk about it in the next episode. Even if I have to take about 20 minutes to just go over it, I'm so for it. So in chapter 20, I think I'm going to stop here. In this chapter, Abraham and his wife journeyed to Gerar, where Abimelech, uh, a king, took Sarah from Abraham under false pretenses, right? God appeared to the king in a dream. And um, what did he do here? Oh, he um, appeared to the king in a dream, and he basically just said to him that you need to return Sarah back to her husband. And Abimelech um, obeyed immediately because, you know, that fear of what he's like, oh, he said, um, you know, please take your wife back. I had no idea this was your wife. Um, and please also pray for me. And Abraham did just that. Um, and um, his wife was able to bear children because at the time when Abimelech did take on Sarah, his wife was not able to have any kids. They just weren't able to have any family. So eventually, you know, the wife is questioning this. This poor innocent lady is wondering what's going on. How come I'm not able to give you children? It just wasn't a happy home. There was no sounds of children in the home. And Abimelech in his sleep was visited by God who said, well, you've committed a great sin. You have um, taken on another man's wife. And this is a man that I love. So I'm going to need you to return uh, his wife back. So Abimelech immediately said, please take your wife. You didn't tell me this was your wife. And he was like, um, but also when you take her, can you please pray for me too? Because I definitely don't want the wrath of God. I don't want to experience it. And, um, you know, Abraham did just that. So there were a few times where Abraham really just kind of coasted. Like, it's like, yes, he was faithful, but he always felt the need to kind of lie about certain things. I always wonder, is it, did God allow him to lie? Um, but then in the same breath also tried to protect him from harm and protect Sarah from harm? Or was um, Abraham sort of being disobedient in that area and not trusting God and figured, oh, let me lie so that we can save ourselves and we can get what we need to get from here. My thing is if God sent you on a mission, if God gave you a message through someone, obey, just listen. The moment you step around because you probably don't like it or you probably don't like how long it might take and you decide I'm going to take a different route, that is when you're going to make the biggest mistake and you don't want to do that. And this is where God's rod will come in. He's going to punish you. He's going to say, okay, so that's the kind of guy you want. All right, I'm going to give him to you. Oh, that's that's the kind of car you want to drive. Okay, I'll let you have it. But don't be upset when it's getting into a lot of accidents because I'm telling you to wait. This is what I'm telling you to drive for now until I bless you with this, but you don't want to listen. And I think a lot of this lesson is in Genesis, especially up to Genesis 20 from what we have read. You know, all these people that God put on this earth to make the earth better, to to um, make people walk in the way that he wanted them to go. And it didn't happen that way, all because of that sin, all because they allowed Satan to consume them and take control. So the question is, was there always a curiosity in our mind? Or is the devil good at finding an opening? And the moment he senses a little bit of curiosity, he plays on it, you know, and, and that's why because we don't know, right, because we don't understand the extent 
of the power of the devil. And most people don't understand the extent of the power of God. We are vulnerable to open to um to like taking in spirits and we have to be careful. And this is why I think reading the Bible is so important because we get to really understand what we're reading and understand the life we live in and what we're facing. This is before our time. So when people say, oh, man wrote the Bible. Well, duh, these were men who experienced these encounters and they're asked to write these things, you know, and you cannot say that these are things we don't face today. All these things, all these stories and, and, and these scenarios and all these things that happened in the Old and the New Testament, we are still facing it today. As a matter of fact, it's a generational curse for a lot of people. We are descendants of a lot of these folks, those who are the promised people and those who are the Gentiles. We are descendants of these people. And even though Jesus came here for the Israel, um, to save his people, the Jewish or the Israelites, He's also here for those Gentiles who are willing to accept him. That is the grace that we have. And so with that being said, for anyone who is listening and wants to accept Christ, just say this with me. Dear Lord, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you and I am sorry. Please forgive me. I believe the blood of Jesus washes away sins and you remember them no more. And now that I am clean, I want to know you and I want to hear your voice. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, be my Lord, and let me experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. And I pray that as you have accepted Christ, that your life changes for the better and that God speaks to you and that the Holy Spirit is with you and the Holy Spirit leads you and you're always encouraged to read the word. Thank you all for listening. And um, look out for part three. We still got more to talk about. Don't forget to read your Bible and pray every day. Stay blessed and put God first. Bye, everyone.